Persia, uh, he develops a great burden for his city and to go and rebuild its walls. And so he, he asks his pagan king, boss, uh, if he could leave for a year and to go and rebuild Jerusalem. And miraculously, amazingly, the king lets him go. And he not only lets him go, but he gives Nehemiah his credit card to go along with him. Now, in chapter 3, the action begins. Nehemiah inspires the Jews to help him with the rebuild. And now they're off and running. So let's turn now to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah is kind of right there in the middle of your, of your Bible, uh, of the Old Testament. And we're not going to read chapter 3 because it's like super long. Uh, but, so what we're going to do is just take, kind of, take a bird's eye view of it. Okay. Now, the first two chapters use Nehemiah to show us the importance of developing a servant's heart. The importance of being a servant if you want to rebuild. But this chapter will show us what that looks like corporately rather than individually. When God calls a body of believers to a rebuild, as God is calling life's journey to, what does that look like? What does it look like for all of us to join in the work? Well, chapter 3 shows us. So chapter 3 shows us three requirements of a rebuild. Number one, rebuilding requires all of us. Rebuilding requires all of us. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, if you look at it right now, it might seem weird to you at first. If you want to just glance at it, uh, now you'll see what I'm talking about. It's just a list of a bunch of names of people, of Israelites, uh, and their various jobs in the rebuild. That's all that it is. And so you look at it, and you're kind of like, uh, why is this in the Bible? And why should I care? <laughs> this is kind of pointless. I don't know any of these people. This is odd. Just a list of names and their jobs in the rebuild. But when you take a closer look at the names listed here, it becomes pretty profound. I think it becomes an extremely profound chapter in the Bible. What do I mean? Well, I think it's extraordinary that in this chapter, when you look at it carefully, there are listed all types of different people here involved in the work. You have both men and women working. You have both adults and children working. You have both clergy and lay people working. You have groups from different towns. You have groups from different social classes. You have groups from different trades. You have rulers and workers, goldsmiths and merchants and perfumers. You have representatives from virtually every part of society here. This is incredible. It's incredible. In working out his grand design, God uses people like you and like me to carry out his work. He uses the rich and the poor, the famous and the obscure, the powerful and the weak, the black and the white, and everything in between. God's kingdom does not advance on the backs of preachers. Here in Nehemiah, we see everyone participating in the work of God. 
Remember, Nehemiah himself wasn't a preacher, was he? No. He was a cupbearer. He was a dude with a job. And yet God used him to advance his kingdom. Everyone in Nehemiah is doing the work. Everybody. Rebuilding the people of God is the work of the people of God. The whole people of God. Everybody has a part to play. Now there's a great book called Evangelism in the Early Church. Evangelism in the Early Church that is fascinating. It's a fascinating read. It points out that the early church grew rapidly. We've actually never seen growth like we've seen in the early church. I mean, explosive numerical growth of people being added to the kingdom every day. The world has never seen anything like that. And the book points out that the church grew so rapidly because of evangelism. Evangelism is why the church grew, grew like that. But the important point to notice that the, that the book brings out is that it was not evangelism done by preachers. It was not. You see, the persecution was so high in the early church, it was dangerous to invite your non-Christian friends to church. So you very rarely did that. If you invited just the wrong guy into your worship space, then everyone there could be tortured and killed. So no one did that. You didn't invite your non-believing co-worker to your worship service. You didn't do that. So, how did evangelism happen then? How were so many thousands of people being added to the church every day? Because everyone evangelized. Everyone did. Everyone spread the gospel. It was not the preachers. In fact, it was intentionally not the preachers. It was everybody. Everybody did it. They did not rely on their preachers. They did it themselves. And we've, the world has never seen growth in the church like that era. I wonder why. Maybe it's because we handed the job of evangelism over to the preachers. And preachers cannot, cannot do it alone. We're never meant to. But I think maybe as, as time went on, we got a little more relaxed. We said, you know what, let me, just, let me just hand this over. Let the professionals spread the gospel. And I'll just come and listen. But don't you see, Paul is crystal clear in the New Testament that we are all ministers of the gospel. Every single one of us, every man, woman, and child is meant to be a minister of the gospel. Paul didn't say in the book of Ephesians, pastors, go do the work. No. He said, pastors, train the people for the work. Now that's a whole different thing, isn't it? Pastors train the people for the work. Just as Jerusalem could not be rebuilt with only the work of the clergy, but required the work of all the people, 
So Paul says over and over that every believer has gifts to offer. Everyone is different, and we need every person. We need every gift. No one sitting in this room here tonight is here by accident. Nobody. That's kind of neat. God has brought you here for a reason. For this specific season. As life's journey looks toward a rebuild. As we're coming out of so much transition. We're coming out of a pandemic. Like a lot of other churches and places in our world, we need to rebuild. And who has God chosen to do the work of the rebuild? You. He's chosen you. He hasn't chosen me. He's chosen me and you and you and you and you and you and you and so on. The work of a rebuild requires all of us. It requires all of us. If you're looking to me to lead us forward and the rebuild for me to do all the work by myself, we will fail spectacularly. It will be a spectacular failure. It will be entertaining to watch the crash and burn. It will. Uh, but not much will be rebuilt. <laughs> uh, it's going to take all of us. And so God has brought you here for such a time as this. Uh, now, maybe you don't know what your role could be here at Life's Journey. Maybe you're wondering what your gifts might be or how you could use those gifts. Well, one thing you can do uh, is go through our Discover 201 class. Uh, we do that once a month. We, uh, we do it on the second Sunday night of every month. And it's Discover 201. And really what that class is for is to discover your spiritual gifts. All that is is you take a spiritual gifts assessment uh, that my former pastor wrote, uh, Dr. Keith Langner. Uh, it's an it's a excellent, excellent, uh, short little evaluation. Uh, and that evaluation, I think, will go a long way to at least pointing you in the right direction. And I think you might even be surprised at maybe what the outcome is uh, of this test. And so uh, that would be a great place for you to start if you're like, hey, I would love to help with the rebuild. I would love to help at Life's Journey. Not exactly sure what my gifts are or what I can do. Discover 201. And you can actually do that right now. Uh, you have my permission to take out your smartphone, log on to ljc.life. You can click on the Discover 101 and 201 tab and just put your name in there and sign up for our next, our next class. And one of our elders leads, and, and I, I lead it with him. Uh, Tom and I will lead that. And so uh, if you want to do that right now, you can. I think that will go a long way uh, to helping you. Go to ljc.life and click on the Discover 101 and 201 tab. Okay, so uh, the first thing this chapter shows us is that rebuilding requires all of us, takes everybody, and the second thing it shows us is that rebuilding requires unity, unity. Not only do we need everyone working, we need everyone working together. <laughs> That's a big difference. <laughs> we don't need a, a lot of people doing stuff, we need a lot of people doing stuff together, unified. Uh, all the people mentioned here in Nehemiah are pulling in the same direction. And that's why the work gets done. The men, the women, the ruling class, the working class, merchants and clergy, all together 
working toward the same goal. Ooh, there's power in that. There's power in that. There was genuine love for each other, for God, and for the task at hand. This is evidence of a real work of God. You want to know what a real work of God looks like? This is it. This is it. There's a phrase repeated over and over in this chapter. You can see it if you just quickly glance at the, at the chapter. It says, next to them, dot, dot, dot. And next to them was blah, blah, blah family. And then next to them was so-and-so. And then next to them was such-and-such family. And then next to them was such-and-such. It's repeated over and over and over and over. Now get this picture in your mind. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this a beautiful picture? All these different people who otherwise would never work together. Ever. Would never work together on anything. Are now linked arm in arm working to advance the kingdom of God together this is powerful all the men women and children the elderly and the young people from all different social classes are linked arm in arm working on the rebuild this is powerful and this is what every society throughout history has been striving for and unable to produce. This is what everybody's after. One where every person from every walk of life is pulling in the same direction for the same goal. Everybody wants that. But it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. At least it doesn't happen for long. It may happen for short spurts, but it doesn't happen for long. There's always division between classes. There's always division between sexes. There's always division between races. But when God moves, when God moves among his people, there is radical unity. Unity that makes no sense. It just blows the world away. And as the video to start the service showed, showed us, that our Savior prayed for us. Did you know that? Our Savior prayed for us. And do you know what he prayed for? Unity. He prayed, he prayed that we would be unified. So that, did you catch that in the video? So that the world will believe. Isn't that amazing? You see, the world knows this truth that we're talking about now. The world knows that there, <laughs> it could not be more obvious than today how ununified we are, how divided we are on everything. But Jesus knew that if, if they saw a church made up of every tribe and tongue, people from all walks of life, linked arm in arm together, loving one another for the same goal, that people would believe. People would believe. Okay, that's different. <laughs> that's what they would say. Oh, that's different. That's unique. I've never seen that before. Where we have Republicans and Democrats and independents and 
Everything in between linked arm in arm. Loving one another. Loving their God and loving the work at hand. The world has never seen that. The world is completely unable to produce it. As five minutes on social media will show you today. I pray that life's journey can be exactly that. I pray we can be exactly that. People from all walks of life, from every tribe and tongue linked arm in arm in unity toward a common goal. We can do it. And it has nothing to do with us. We can do that. Not because we are able to, but because our God is able to. And so I pray that the Spirit would move in each of us. Not that we would all just jump in the work, but that we would all jump in the work together. Loving one another. Loving our God. And loving the work ahead. Okay, and lastly, uh, this chapter shows us that rebuilding requires sacrifice. Rebuilding requires sacrifice. Most of the people listed here rebuilt sections of the wall that were close to their homes, which kind of makes sense if you think about it. It's, it's wisdom. Uh, but we also see here people willing to build multiple sections of the wall, not just the one they were assigned. We see, uh, we see that after they finish their assigned section, they quickly move on to help others who haven't finished yet. So rather than sipping tea and watching others work, they go above and beyond. They don't say, well, my job's done. They say, where else can I serve? What else can I do? Who else can I give a hand to? What an incredible example this is for us as we rebuild. It's easy to bail after your job is done, isn't it? It's easy to make excuses why you can't help others. It's easy to look at someone else struggling and say, not my responsibility. Not in my job description. I just signed up for the tech team. I didn't sign up to help the kids. Sorry. Not my job. But the Israelites here, they couldn't wait to help their neighbor in need. Now, I am thrilled to be standing in front of a group of people that when things got hard at life's journey, you didn't bail. It would have been super easy to, as you have seen multiple families do. It's easy just to say, well, my job here is apparently done. I'm going to move on somewhere else. That would have been easy for you guys to say and you didn't. And that's why I smile every time I see you. It's incredible what you folks uh, have done. And it's an honor to be standing here. It is. It's unbelievable. Golly, it could be, it would have been so easy to bail. Catherine and I talk about it all the time. We're like, why are these people still here? This is incredible. <laughs> I mean, we're just so thrilled. Like, this is amazing. Like, you people, uh, you had the attitude of, the Israelites here. They said, you know what? My job's not done yet. The work is not done yet. There's more to be done. You guys didn't say, well, let me just hand life's journey off to somebody else. You said, nope, 
Where else can I serve? What can I do to help? So what a thrill it is to, to stand here this evening in front of people like you. And what an honor it is to, uh, to do the work of God next to people like you all. What a thrill. Praise God for you guys. And I tell you what, I just wanted to mention this. It has been super encouraging to me uh, that during our search for a Sunday morning space, uh, that several of you have come to me and said, hey, just so you know, don't worry about me. I'm all in. No matter where we go, I'm in. I want to be real with you. That's been super helpful to me (laughs) because, you know, uh, I've been pretty stressed out (laughs) uh, about trying to find a Sunday morning space, and I know our elders have too, and so... um, uh, that has done my heart really good to hear that from so many of you. So thank you for that. Uh, that was that, That's like a breath of fresh air, and I know uh, most of you feel that way, and, and I really, really appreciate that. That has been crazy helpful. Um, and so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sacrificing your individual desires for the good of the group. That's exactly what we see here in Nehemiah. It's exactly what we see. And that is exactly what is required for a rebuild. That's the way it has to be. If we're all looking out for number one, looking out for me, a rebuild will not happen. It will not. But a rebuild will happen if we, like we see here in chapter three, that people are saying, hey, who else can I help? What else can I serve? I'm all in. I'm all in, Nehemiah. You want me to work on the dung gate? I'll do it. How would you like that job? Somebody had to do it. (laughs) Whose family was assigned the dung gate? Hey, they were all in because they knew there was something going on here way bigger than themselves. There's something supernatural happening here. This isn't just a just brick and mortar and wood going up on this wall. There's something supernatural happening here. And they just wanted to be a part of it. They said, you know what? Probably not super fun to work on the dung gate, but I'm in. If that's what you want me to do, I'm in. And I'm standing in front of a group of people who have said that very thing. And it means a lot to me. It means a lot to our elders. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, so in conclusion, this is all well and good, right? I think this, this is crazy helpful for us. We see a, a rebuild requires all of us, requires everybody. It requires unity, and it requires sacrifice. Awesome. Thank you, Nehemiah. But there's something missing. There's something missing. I mean, this is all well and good, but what does it really look like for us? How does God's kingdom advance today, here in life's journey, as opposed to Nehemiah's day? I mean, surely God doesn't want us to build a wall around Huntsville. Surely there's something different that God wants. Okay, if so, then what is it? How does God's kingdom advance today? What is the work that we should be doing? Well, I think Nehemiah actually gives us a clue. I think he gives us a clue. You see, the story of the Old Testament is really a story of a covenant, an agreement that God made with Abraham, that God made with the people of Israel. That's what the Old Testament is about. And God promised that he would bless the entire world. Abraham and his descendants. All they needed to do was remain faithful to God and obey his commands. They just needed to keep up their end of the agreement. 
their end of the covenant. But this was a covenant that they were totally unable to keep. The Old Testament is a sad, sad story of the multiple failures of Israel to keep their side of the covenant. They never fully obeyed God. They never served him alone without turning to idolatry. They never spread God's light throughout the world like he wanted. So why not just let them die out? They didn't keep up their end. Why didn't God just let the city burn and let the people just dissipate? Because while no, the nation of Israel never served God like he wanted, there would come one Israelite who would. One Israelite would. And the main point of this story, the main point of the book of Nehemiah, is that God needed the walls rebuilt so Jerusalem would survive. And he needed Jerusalem to survive so the Israelite people could survive. And he needed the Israelite people to survive so that a young Israelite girl named Mary could give birth to a baby boy in an Israelite town called Bethlehem. And through that boy, God would not only keep up his part of the covenant with Israel, but he would keep up their, their part of the covenant too. This boy would be the perfect covenant keeper that God would use to bless the entire world. He would take God's light to all nations. He would live the perfect life of faithfulness that no Jew ever could, that no human ever could. He would die the death the entire world deserved for its rebellion and sin against God. He would rise victoriously from the dead and take a seat on the highest throne in heaven as ruler of all things. Don't you see? In Nehemiah, God is preserving the line through which the faithful covenant keeper will come. So that now, now, all that is needed for a relationship with God to be in covenant with him is faith. Faith in the one he sent. And that's it. No laws to obey. No rules to keep. Just faith. Faith in God's son. You see, in the Old Testament, the kingdom advanced toward Jesus. That's what the whole thing is doing. It's advancing toward Jesus. But here in the New Testament era that you and I are in, everything is advancing from 
Jesus. It's from Christ now because he has come. There are no walls for us to rebuild, no nations to keep safe. There is just a story to tell. And that's it. What story is it? It's his story. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of the gospel. And so as life's journey embarks on a rebuild, let all of us work, yes. Let all of us work in unity together and let us sacrifice for one common goal. To spread this gospel to every corner of this city and every corner of the earth. That is the work we are called to do. It is to tell a story. The greatest story of all. That is what we are unified together to do. To preach the gospel to every creature on earth. That's it. And what a story it is. What a story it is. As the modern hymn declares, we have a story of grace. We have an anthem of hope. We have a reason to praise. We've been redeemed and made whole. Christ, the great liberator, has ransomed us from our shame. Now by the blood of the Savior, everything broken will change. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Nehemiah and this amazing story. But we thank you for the truth behind the story. And that is, you were just trying to get your son here. You were just trying to give us Jesus. And what a gift he is. What a gift he is. Father, we are doomed without him. We're doomed. The harder we try to live like Nehemiah and the Israelites, the more we fail. And then at any point that we succeed, we just become prideful about it and self-righteous. Father, without Jesus, we're nothing. But in a remarkable amount of love and grace, you have given us your son. And so we pray as as life's journey, we move toward a rebuild. That everything we do, everything, every outreach, every ministry, every song we sing, every sermon we preach, every lesson we lead, everything every cup of water we hand out, that everything would be centered around your son. And Father, we need your help with that. We need your spirit because we will want to make it about us. We'll try to make it about us. Please, Father, help us. Make it about Jesus.
Jesus is the only hope of this world. And we know, Father, he is the only hope we have for a rebuild. He's it. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word and your spirit that lead us to him.